Somebody has some facts that come forth about President Trump that let the chips fall where they may. But it's not someplace that I think we should go. Uh, Nancy Pelosi the other day saying uh, Democrats should stop talking about impeachment. Wow. I just happened to see that uh, Tom Steyer, that far left tech guy from California, one of his ads, he's spent zillions of dollars now. I don't know how much it is. I suppose we could figure that out on ads talking about how important it is. We immediately impeach the president. Hmm. All right. <clears throat> Good luck Whatever. Whatever. Good luck with that. So listen, Harvey Weinstein is a pig and a predator and a rapist and a terrible human being. We knew that. NYPD says they announced themselves that they've got enough to come forward with a rape charge. I don't know what they're waiting on. Mm. Let's get her done, NYPD, although Harvey Weinstein's probably hiding out. And we'd also heard vague references to the fact that he and his people would intimidate victims and witnesses into not coming forward. or, Or it just occurred to me, it just clicked on my head. How many times did we say the settlements he paid seemed amazingly low? I mean, way out of line with the usual, I'm a corporate bigwig, I molested you, I'm going to write you a check to shut you up, uh, you know, price level. And then it'd be 60 grand. Yeah. 100 grand. Well, it's many multiples of that. O'Reilly paid tens of millions. Weinstein paid $100,000. Why would a woman accept that? Well, I think we're getting a clue. Old Ronan Farrow, who's been on this story for quite a while now. I'm anxious to see if Ronan Farrow is as spirited and aggressive in his future stories as he's been in this one. Because his work has been excellent. Really good. Really, you know, brave and thorough and and energetic, etc. Peace in the New Yorker just published late last evening. I'm going to read you some chunks of it because I don't think I can improve on his uh, verbiage in a number of places. But listen to this, would you? In the fall of last year, Harvey Weinstein set out to suppress allegations that he had sexually harassed or assaulted numerous women. He hired a private security agency, several actually, to collect information on the women and the journalists trying to expose the allegations. According to dozens of pages of documents and seven people directly involved in the effort, the firms that Weinstein hired included Kroll, which is one of the world's largest corporate intelligence companies, and Black Cube, an enterprise run largely by former Officers of Mossad and other Israeli intelligence agencies. Black Cube, which has branches all over the world, offers its clients the skills of operatives, quote, highly experienced and trained in Israel's elite military and governmental intelligence units, according to its literature. So again, he's hiring ex Mossad people, among others, Seems, to uh, investigate his accusers and journalists who are talking to them. That's going pretty far because <clears throat> you could have just hired really good private eyes and. You know, it might have done the trick. Two private investigators from Black Cube using false identities met with actress Rose McGowan, who eventually publicly accused Weinstein of rape, to extract information from her. One of the investigators pretended to be a woman's rights active advocate and secretly recorded at least four meetings with McGowan. This same operative, using a different false identity and implying that she had an allegation against Weinstein, met twice with journalists supposedly to talk about her being molested, but instead pumped them for information about what women you're talking to and what are they saying. In other cases, journalists directed by Weinstein or the private investigators interviewed women 
and then reported back the details. So Weinstein, through his attorneys, who are run by David Boyce, celebrated attorney who represented Al Gore in the 2000 presidential election dispute, he hired his attorneys, and, and I'll explain why in a couple of minutes, to hire these, uh, these uh, you know, black ops people to discredit, to investigate not only the accusers, but the journalists. They're doing all sorts of dirty work, assuming, uh, you know, fake identities, uh, posing as activists. It's amazing. Well, I wonder how often this happens in the world of uh, people with lots of money. If you've, lot, got, if, you, if you've got an enemy of any kind or an impediment of any <clears> kind <throat> where you just try to get something in their background, you could uh, use on them. Right. The explicit goal of the investigation laid out in one contract with Black Cube was to stop the publication of the abuse allegations against Weinstein that eventually emerged in the New York Times and the New Yorker. Over the course of a year, Weinstein had the agencies target or collect information on dozens of individuals and compile psychological profiles that sometimes focused on their personal or sexual histories. So he could ruin them, discredit them. Sure. Weinstein monitored the progress of the investigations personally. He also enlisted former employees from his film enterprises to join in the effort, collecting names and placing calls that, according to the sources, to some sources who received them, felt intimidating. Uh, uh, by the by, he spent approximately, it would seem, $600,000 on Black Cube alone. 600 Gs. On investigating, discrediting, slandering, messing with his accusers and journalists. So you got someone, you uh, you get wind that they might come forward and accuse you. You hired these Mossad spooks mm-hmm. to, uh, to dig up something on them. Including impersonating women's rights activists, which I'll get into a little more specifically. And, then so and does... meeting repeatedly with the people and taping every word. And then does somebody at some point... Send them a letter, yep. call them on the phone, walk up to their table at the Starbucks and say, by the way, if you come after Harvey, we're going to let everybody know about this in and college you just when you blank or sure. whatever. Or you hand them the whole file. David Boyce, and this is so precious, the big dollar attorney, uh, denied that the work uh, represent. Oh, uh, Boyce, while he was doing this, was also representing the New York Times in a libel case. Even as he was paying the Black Cube people to undermine New York Times journalists and discredit them, he was representing the Times. He denied that that's conflict of interest and said uh, we should not have been contracting with and paying investigators that we did not select and direct. He's making it clear that they just wrote the checks. They had no idea what anybody was doing. Total ignorance. At at the time, it seemed a reasonable accommodation for a client, but it was not thought through, and that was my mistake. It was a mistake at the time. The reason they do that, you filter it through the attorney, quote-unquote, so you have attorney-client privilege. Mm. So it prevents those discussions or relationships or contracts from being disclosed in court. That's why you do it. Uh, The documents and sources reveal the tools and tactics available to powerful individuals to suppress negative stories and, in some cases, forestall criminal investigations. By by the way, this is so beautiful. Weinstein's spokeshole, Sally Hofsmeister, is still saying, quote, It is a fiction to suggest that any individuals were targeted or suppressed at any time. Please. You'll go to hell with your boss. It's such an interesting psychological profile of a guy like Weinstein. You know, you could just stop doing this to women. 
and then you wouldn't have to go through all this and constantly be worried that your whole life was going to come crashing down. Well, there's an idea. But, but Can you imagine? But it, 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 it is actually a compulsion or addiction or something? I mean, what is going on there? So you spend going on a million dollars to ruin people? That's something. So listen to this, would you? Uh, yeah, we got a couple of minutes. I'm going to hit you with this story, and there's so much more of this. But it was in uh, May of this year, McGowan received an email. This year, it was just a few months ago, uh, an email from a literary agency introducing her to a woman identified as Diana Phillip who is the Deputy Head of Sustainable and Responsible Investments at Rubin Capital Partners, a London-based wealth management firm. Philip told McGowan, with her, you know, progressive bona fides there, that she was launching an initiative to combat discrimination against women in the workplace and asked McGowan, a vocal woman's right advocate, to speak at a gala kickoff. She offered her a fee of $60,000. I understand that we have... That's big money. (laughs) Sure. To, to come and, and give an hour-long lunch speech? Yeah. I'll do it for half that today if you need me. Um, I understand that we have a lot in common, Philip wrote to uh, McGowan, before that first meeting in May at the Peninsula Hotel in Beverly Hills. Over the following months, the two women met at least three more times at hotel bars in Los Angeles and New York and other locations. I took her to the Venice Boardwalk. We had ice cream while we strolled, McGowan told me. Didn't uh, Rose McGowan at some point say, why are you paying me six me sixty grand to speak at your luncheon? That's like what presidents get. Why are you paying me so much? Presidents get half a million dollars if it's Bill Clinton in Russia. Normal. And there's uranium at stake. Normal presidents. Yeah, okay. But uh, wouldn't you wonder why they're... I mean, if somebody offered me $60,000 to speak at their luncheon, I'd think, okay, but what's going on here? I wouldn't ask any questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, McGowan describes Philippe or Philip as very kind. The two talked at length about issues relating to women's empowerment. Philippe also reportedly told McGowan that she wanted to make a significant investment in McGowan's production company. She was persistent. In one email, she suggested meeting in Los Angeles. But when McGowan said she'd be in New York, Philippe said, I can meet there just as easily. So, these people had unlimited expense accounts. She also began pressing McGowan for information. In, in a conversation in July, McGowan revealed to Philippe that she had spoken to me, Pharaoh, as part of the reporting on Weinstein. Okay? So McGowan says, yeah, yeah, things are moving forward against this pig. I've been talking to Ronan Farrow. A week later, I received an email from Philippe, at, writes Pharaoh, asking for a meeting and suggesting that I join her campaign to end professional discrimination against women. Quote, I am impressed with your work as a male advocate for gender equality and believe that you would make an invaluable addition to our activities, she wrote. Uh, unsure of who she was, I did not respond. Philippe continued to meet with McGowan. In a meeting in September, Philippe was joined by another black cube operative who claimed to be a colleague. The goal, according to two sources with knowledge of the effort, was to pass McGowan to another operative to extract more information. On October 10th, the day the New Yorker published Farrow's story about Weinstein, Philippe reached out to McGowan in an email. Hi, love, she wrote. How are you feeling? Just wanted to tell you how brave I think you are. She signed off with an XX. And then in the next meeting, Diane Philippe, who is a former Israeli Defense Forces uh, intelligence agent, as it turns out... Sat extra near to her, and 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 uh, and uh, McGowan is pretty sure she wanted a clearer tape of what McGowan knew and who she was talking to. So she sat extra near her in a weird way the entire time. So that's the story to this point. So to summarize, Weinstein spending many hundreds of thousands, maybe seven figures, 
to hire ex-Israeli intelligence officers to discredit, to ruin, to intimidate his victims. Now, or at the very least, get information on what they're going to come forward with. Right, exactly. So they can counter it in advance, right. And so now when you hear some woman signed a ridiculously low settlement with Harvey Weinstein to keep her mouth shut and go away, or when you say, why didn't these women come forward and say something? I think now you have a clue. Oh, yeah. And there's more of this. I'm looking up at the Today Show, Weinstein's Army of Spies. They're uh, they're going big with this story. Well, it's, it's pretty interesting on all kinds of different levels. Who knew that this, this was the kind of hardball these people played? Hiring ex-Israeli spooks to come after you. Multiple intelligence agencies to intimidate, discredit, or counter their victims. So you can keep your rape gig going. Right. Jeez. This is the toast of Rapeywood, Harvey Weinstein. Hooray for Rapeywood! Kevin Spacey, any comments? Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. According to the the, uh, the Japan Times newspaper, make comments that he couldn't understand why a country of samurai warriors didn't shoot down North Korean missiles. You know, I I, I don't know what's worse that Trump thinks Japan still has samurai, or that he thinks samurai warriors were trained in missile defense. I feel like Trump only knows two things about Japan, and neither of them is right. So, yeah, we got to... Um, that wasn't a... Well, that was kind of a joke. We've got to uh, say we definitely were wrong to air the story yesterday that Trump dumped all his fish food into the koi pond. Well, he did. Right. But so did the the president of Japan. That's Marshall. Marshall's to blame. And the... Well, the video was edited and he was misled by fake news. Right. Which there's a lot of in the world. And in the fast-moving world of morning radio, there's no time to correct. And... Um, well, we did correct it. Half an hour later. Like, I don't know the details of that one other than the way it was just laid out by somebody who wants to per- portray Trump as stupid. And he may have said something stupid there. I don't know. <laughs> but I know the one about the uh, the automobiles. I don't know if you followed that little flat, but it yeah. was w- wildly taken out of context to make him look stupid. And uh, it, that's another one that was at the Washington Post. Somebody um, said the, the Koi Pond video and the Toyota Cars thing were just, well, they were fake news. Really? They were, we were misled by the way they portrayed by most people. Wow. Um, so you got to watch that stuff. It's unbelievable lately. It is. It's tough, and it fits into this kind of... So Sunday after the news broke that the freaking shooting happened, um, I was, uh, I was uh, somewhat sick on Sunday, and I was in bed, so I had more time than I usually have to start bouncing around on the Internet, and I thought, oh, I'm going to see what information is out there. Pretty soon they identify the scumbag killer. Stupid, angry coward. I Google his name to see what... Sean, write stupid angry coward up there real big, would you? And I, I Googled his name, and it was the first time I've ever jumped into one of these stories with with the intent of, I wonder what crap is floating around right now ah. that is either put out by, um, well, as this article in The Atlantic calls them... 
I live next to the Pacific. I have no interest in the Atlantic. Hoaxers. It's a lesser <laughs> ocean. The Atlantic Monthly. The hoaxers, trolls, BSers, and information profiteers, including the Russians. Um, the, I, you know, I appreciate that sentence. It points out that there are a number of different motives and sorts of, uh, you know, dealers in lies. They're, they're the kind of people that just like jerking America around or, or, or just jerking people around. Yeah. Trolls. Yeah. Uh, Russia, who wants to sow seeds of discontent. And, you know, partisans who want to partisans in America as opposed to people in Russia who want to divide us. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I, the first time I've ever and I think we're all going to get trained to do this eventually. Right. To, to always look at news this way. But so I jump on there and think, I wonder what crap's floating around and uh, who's putting it out about what. And there was all kinds of stuff on it immediately that the guy's linked to Antifa, that he had converted to Islam, including pictures, the, 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 um, that he was a Christian who hated the wrong kind of Christians and just all kinds of different stuff. That was immediately on Google. And the Atlantic story, Google's mass shooting misinformation problem, explains how this happens. For Google, the problem is the information marketplace around the previously unknown actors and major news events. In the immediate aftermath of the shooting, there just isn't a lot of content to serve up for the search of the guy's name, which I'm not going to read here, but that's what I typed in. There isn't much. People want something, anything. Google has to offer up something, anything. So Google reaches to less authoritative users, and they get higher on the list because there's just nothing out there. The New York Times isn't putting anything out. The L.A. Times, CBS News, they aren't putting anything out. So the only thing they have to go to is this crap that's being put out there by the hoaxers, trolls, BSers, Russians, whatever. They know that when the attention economy is likely to need their contributions because the real journalists and news gatherers and people on the ground are doing the work to get the facts, that is their time to strike. And while those other people are working, the know-nothings can surf the attentional wave and put out that information. So then it compounds itself with the way Google works, and this is just their algorithms kicking into gear. So once the Antifa story is out there by the Russians, whoever put it out there, then... If somebody comes along later in the day, because that got hit on so many times, if somebody comes along, because it was the only thing out there, later in the day, when there are stories from the New York Times and CBS News and stuff like that, still, if I tap type in a-hole's name, it might say a-hole and then say Antifa. You know, mm-hmm. it'll do the autofill. Right. Because that has been the As result. As you type, okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I'll think, oh, really, Antifa? I hadn't heard that. Click on that. Sure. So it's just further reinforcing it. Yeah. yeah. And that's why this information is getting so much more attention than the legitimate news. It's the first thing out there. And Google, there's discussions. Do Google need to figure out a way to not reinforce the first worst stories that make it in any breaking news Mm -hmm. so that it ends up with the most likely thing you end up reading even 24 hours later? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Interesting. You know, it's, uh, it's funny. I've been wrestling with something lately. Speaking of Antifa, it's a good example. Um, my feelings about Antifa are well known. I think they are the fascist. I think they're dangerous. They are a threat to my cherished First Amendment uh, rights. And they're misguided. They're a-holes. They're stupid. They're violent. They hurt people. They are irredeemable dopes. Other people who agree tend to be of, um, uh, how would I describe it? A more extreme bent than myself. And are feeding us all sorts of information anti-Antifa, some of which is fictional. It's fake news. It's troll stories. Um, 
I don't know why you would need to go there, fellas. I know who you are, and I know who you're doing, what you're doing. And you know what's funny is some of these people, they also feed us real stuff that's really compelling and interesting and ignored by the mainstream media, and I'm really glad we have it. But you guys are killing your credibility by feeding us this this fanciful stuff. You know, I'm not, you know, Antifa goes into zoos and rapes pandas. I mean, they'll send us, you know, really well-cooked up stories with graphics and quotes and everything about Antifa being panda rapists. So So are you saying if somebody took this this dude's, um, uh, took the story and and tried to discredit Antifa by attaching his name to it, they're doing harm to the cause against Antifa. Oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Absolutely. I yeah. wonder if it was just the Russians who want a certain number of people to think, oh, boy, Antifa is bad and be more worked up about it. That, well, yeah. I don't know who's some, behind it. Some of the correspondents I'm thinking of are definitely not Russian agents, or at least I don't think they are. Um, well, I'm pretty sure they're not, because they've explained their ideology in, in detail, and I believe it. But um, uh, what was the point I was going to make? It's, it's fake news. It's all well. It's all tied together. One more sentence or two from the Atlantic piece. How many users will go on to search scumbag's name Antifa like I did because it auto filled in? That's how I ended up searching it in hopes of educating themselves and in so doing, teaching the machines to spread the unsubstantiated information. So I actually helped Google spread bad news by clicking on the autofill. Right. Right. Um, and uh, the Atlantic reached out to Google, uh, saying this deserves a solution. Something's got to be done to figure this out. Maybe when there's nothing reputable to show users, it's better to show nothing at all than than the only information that's available. But I don't know if the computer, you know, I don't know if the algorithms are set up for that. And we can't have, you know, Google can't be programmed to accept certain news feeds as real and certain as not because that is a disaster, obviously. Right, that will cross a line day one. I yeah. would suspect. I remember what I was going to say, and if you're done, we can go to break. I can summarize this pretty quickly. For some reason, we we get this newsletter of what Rush Limbaugh talked about on his show, kind of a summary and stuff like that, and links. And one of them was a Facebook page that showed that the uh, stupid, angry coward in Texas was into all sorts of progressive causes. It's a Facebook page of one dude who claims to have a screen capture of Stupid Angry Coward's Facebook page, but there's no way to tell at all if it's authentic. I have no idea if it is. That this guy's some sort of super progressive. Well, I also would like to get away from this idea that if somebody commits this kind of crime and voted for Trump or voted for Bernie, that that's got anything to do with it. It doesn't necessarily. This guy, if you've been following his history the last 24 hours, is just a violent a-hole. Right, and a nut. I don't think him voting for Bernie or Trump or anything has anything to do with it. Yeah. I tell you what, there are so many causes, most of them evil, served by everybody being obsessed with the R versus D thing. Cut it out. You're being used. You're being used by people like Harvey Weinstein. God, that's where we are in America. Somebody shoots a whole bunch of people. The first thought is, who did he vote for president? And that helps the story somehow. It's crazy. Um, What's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, we'll hear from the good guy with a gun on the Texas shooting. Watch out, my friends. There's a new Netflix scam ooching around out there. And Kevin Spacey is heading for luxury rehab. Stories coming up minutes from now. Armstrong and Giddy. Rehab. Wow. He doesn't need rehab from luxury. He needs rehab from touching underage boys. He needs to move to Bangkok. You know what? Somewhere they put up with your scumbaggery, Kevin. And the God, I used to love you as an actor. You've hurt me. That's what we should call him, Bangkok Kevin.
Wow, that's pretty good. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty Show tax advisor Stephen Moskowitz in a few minutes to talk about the Republican tax plan and who's it's gonna your, whose taxes are gonna go down and whose are gonna go up. Just Particularly kind of broad strokes. Those of us who live in big blue states, how it'll affect us. Stay with us. Mm. Uh, news now, Marsha Phillips. Well, for the first time since the deadly Texas church shooting, the man who stopped it is speaking out. Stephen Williford said he was terrified during Sunday's shootout. The 56-year-old was barefoot. When he grabbed his AR-15 and started exchanging gunfire with the shooter, hitting him twice. Then he joined a car chase, which ended when the shooter's vehicle spun out. I, 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 I'm no hero. I, I am not. I think my God, my Lord, protected me and gave me the skills to do what needed to be done. And I just wish I could have gotten there faster. But I didn't know. I didn't know what was happening. You know, I probably shouldn't jump in with this, but I can't stop myself. That's the sort of person that Barack Obama expressed contempt for when he talked about people clinging to their guns and to their religion. There are a lot of dumbasses in the hinterlands, whatever, that's fine. But there are a lot of really, really good people who the media completely ignores or assumes are stupid. Or pathetic. Take a look at the electoral map. You'll begin to understand. It's not the issues so much as it's the contempt. I hope that the uh, the internet doesn't Ken Bone that dude. Oh, for God's sake! I know, but if, that, if yeah. they do, ignore it. Yeah. Have a new email scam uh, telling Netflix subscribers they need to update their billing information right away. Now, a link will take them to a fake website where they're asked to log in and provide information, including credit card numbers. Who's doing this? This is Well, these are Thieves. scammers. Scammers using Netflix as a cover. Netflix, okay. Yeah. Cybersecurity experts say this. Scam emails that started going out on Friday are relatively well-designed, and apparently yeah. they're showing up all over the country. It's so easy to fall for those. I fell for one in eBay one years ago. But, uh, you know, you get a whole bunch of emails from whatever company it is right. you do do business with. An email looks exactly like all, all the others. You said do-do. And uh, and you click on it, think, oh, i got to update my password. And next thing you know, you're in trouble. Yeah, just go to the website, the actual website, and click on your account. And, and never do that. Never hit links in an email right. from an alleged company. Kevin Spacey checking into a luxurious $36,000 per month sex rehab center in Arizona. Fly to Bangkok instead, Kevin. Is this the same uh, sex rehab that uh, the other famous people have gone to? Harvey Weinstein sought help at the Meadows as well, as uh, did Tiger Woods, uh, Kate Moss, Selena Gomez, Elle McPherson. And I think, uh, did you mention, uh, the, 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 what's the little guy from New York? Right, He was riding horses to feel better. Bye-bye, pervert. That guy. Oh, oh Anthony oh, yeah. yeah, he <laughs> went there, too. A little guy from New York. Bye-bye, yeah. pervert! Yes. Right, we got to wrap it up, Marsh. All right, that's your news. I'm Marsh Phillips here. I'm starting to get his show, The Voice of the West. That's where they go ride horses to get over their uh, sexual addictions. You know, after a good hard ride, I don't feel like jerking it in front of teenagers anymore. This is wonderful. There's one uh, spokesman there. Uh, so what does Republican tax plan do for you? We're going to talk to a tax expert coming up next on the Armstrong and Getty Show.
Yes. Take the money and run, Michael. Government robbery, our theme, not rednecks robbing banks. But Well, most people are going to get a tax cut, aren't they? No, well, maybe. Depends. Well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is true. But our tax advisor for many years, Stephen Moskowitz, joins us. And uh, Stephen... If uh, how would you summarize what you've seen so far in the uh, proposed Republican tax reform? Horrible. I'm very disappointed in it. And part of the problem is it really sets the country against each other. For example, people living in low or non-tax states as opposed to high tax states. For example, the government wants to do away with the state and local tax deduction. Well, if you live in a high-tax state, that really hurts. If you live in a low-tax or no-tax state, you say, well, why should those other states get the benefit? Some people call it a blue state punishment, but that's just one of the problems. You know, it's funny. I always thought, and I, as you know, live in a blue state and pay a hell of a lot of taxes. I kind of agreed with that point of view, but then somebody pointed out to me, well, you're getting the same income taxed twice. Sad but true. And then there's other dividing points. For example, they want to drop the mortgage deduction down to half a mil from the current one mil. Now, again, let's look at the states. As you said on your show before, in some states, you can get a palatial mansion for less than half a mil, whereas other states, that's kind of like your garage. So the bottom line is you have people at loggerheads here. And then if you if you're in the market, that's only for new homes. If you have an existing home, it doesn't apply. So if you believe this is going to pass and you're in the market for a home, you'd want to quickly buy it and take advantage of the higher, more, uh, the higher portion if you're in one of the high-cost states. And there's a lot of other things, too. There's a provision for the large corporations. This is a tremendous benefit for General Motors and the Fortune 500 because they would drop their rates down from 35 to 20%. That's terrific. On the other hand, something we talk about quite a lot, we just talked about a few minutes ago, is right now the incentive for the foreign corporations to keep the money overseas is it's not, it's not taxed. And there's provision in here to essentially have a new minimum tax that these corporations would have to pay for money they earn anywhere in the world. Also, there's a proposal to force them to bring things back, and there'd be a different tax treatment whether they brought back cash or illiquid assets where they give them more time to pay on it. So that's something that would be an effect that General Motors wouldn't like. And then there's so many other things. For example, elimination of the estate tax. That really benefits the very wealthy because right now under the current law, you have to have over five and a half million before these taxes become a problem, before these taxes apply to you. Under the new threshold, they double that. And then you'd say, well, all right, and then eliminating them in upcoming years. So again, the problem is this is so uneven where it really helps and hurts different people. Uh, how many pages was the tax code when you started doing your work? And what is it now? Oh, it's it's funny because when I, I started, bear in mind, I started my tax work when I was in kindergarten, <laughs> that the, the, the tax work, you take all the, the things and you put it on a, a small table. Now it goes on forever. And then you take all the court interpretations. It's now unlimited because 
whatever law is going to pass, if it does at all, the courts will interpret it. And part of the things that we are always negotiating with the IRS is everybody disagrees with what the law means, including the judges. And there's so many cases where the judges disagree with each other. So in practice, when we actually go in to do a case, we say, well, a bunch of judges say we can do it, and a bunch of judges say we can't, and usually work out some type of compromise. The government even has a formal system for this. It's called the hazards of litigation. So if you have a situation where, say, 70% of the judges say you can do it and 30% say you can't, the standard IRS offer is, okay, hazards of litigation, we'll give you 70%. You go ahead and concede 30% or go to trial all or nothing. You know, I'm not trying to put you out of business, Stephen, but it's obscene that that's the case and everybody needs a tax advisor. And everybody does unless they're filling out a 1040EZ form and then maybe they do anyway. Stephen Moskowitz is on the line. Uh, You know, Stephen, a friend of ours who's really into this sort of thing characterized the tax reform as it stands right now is a fairly cowardly, um, you know, minor reshuffling of things, kind of like the proposed Obamacare reforms. There's a lot of truth to that. There are, are there's some new things, and in, in one of the ones that I find particularly irksome, there's a proposal to cap the tax at 25% for what's called pass-through businesses. However, this would apply to some businesses and would not apply to others. For example, in this bill, it specifically excludes lawyers and accountants. So if I'm living next door to a guy that owns a grocery store, and we have the same income. Why should he pay 25% and I pay 39.6? Because there's a lot more lawyers in Congress than grocery store owners, Stephen. There you go. And the fix is in. And also, they even want to take away my personal favorite deduction in the whole IRS code. What's that? The tax deduction for tax return preparation. <laughs> right. That was a really mean one. Hey, what do you think's going to happen? I know you have your, your finger on the politics of tax, too, the pulse of it. Do you think the uh, high-tax state, uh, you can exempt your state and local taxes, do you think uh, that's going to endure, or will they kill that? That's going to be a real fight, and I would bet that the high-tax states will never, ever reduce their taxes, and that's going to be one of the major fights. But you, you've seen in the current administration all the problems with getting things through. And here, even though you have a Republican domination, if you're a Republican politician in a high-tax state, you're going to have some real problems getting reelected if people say, hey, you just increased my taxes. You're out. I never want you again. Right. Right. Stephen Moskowitz, Long, our tax advisor. Stephen, as this thing gets to clo- closer to a final form, let's uh, reconvene and, and talk about what it means, all right? That would be great. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Stephen. It's always good to talk. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, thank you. My software is frozen up as usual. You know, the, the estate tax thing, I've got to tell you, I want a moral, ethical argument for taxes that makes sense and that we agree on. And if, for instance... Uh, with the, uh, the the death tax or the estate tax. So you got to be pretty rich to have $5.5 million when you die. I think it is morally wrong to tax income and then grab another chunk of it when somebody dies. I no, think that no. is morally indefensible, and I don't care if it benefits rich guys or poor guys no. or middle guys. No, that's never going to apply to me. It's not going to hurt me. Right, I, I get more money in effect by double taxing those people because it gets you know spent on stuff. Yeah, but uh, it's wrong. 
You know, it's I, just wrong. It's funny. On one level, I really enjoy talking about this stuff, and on another level, I I don't at all because there are a couple of uh, proposals. The fair tax, I really like, for instance, um, that would really simplify the tax code. I mean, you could easily understand how taxes work and what you have to pay. It would spread out the tax base. It would be much. It would be a huge leap forward in terms of justice, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it'll never happen because it's so mobbed up. Army's new fitness standards. Joe's going to read them to us and attempt to do all the tests. That is correct. I'm thinking of enlisting. I know they won't have me. I'll lie about my age and dye my hair and wear a girdle. Also, the Game of Thrones going on in Saudi Arabia. We got to touch on that. That could be the most important thing that's happened in the last week for the whole world. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.